Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. Welcome to Dan's Talks. Uh, My guest today is Alexandra Odier, who has uh, written a book called Don't Call Me Home, which requires an explanation, I think, just by the title. (laughs) And uh, she is the daughter of Viva, who was one of the uh, stars in the Andy Warhol firmament from some generation ago, who in fact owned, as you may know, a home out in Montauk, which we will hopefully talk about. You may not have been born at that point, but we can still talk about it. (laughs) I I read a little bit of sort of reviews about the book, which um, came out in May. And Mm -hmm. uh, you're having a reading this week, which is probably going to be too soon for this podcast to go live. But in any case, tell me a little about the book and why you wrote it. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, the book is, um, you know, a, uh, I say, you know, because it just has the word memoir. So uh, (laughs) it's about my life. Um, But uh, yeah, it's about coming of age in Manhattan in the 70s and 80s, New York scene, downtown art scene with a, you know, let's say a difficult mother <laughs> in the Chelsea. Ho- I grew up in the Chelsea Hotel. So the a lot of the book takes place in the hotel. The majority of my childhood was in that hotel, raised by Viva, my mother, who was a Warhol superstar, Viva superstar, her name was. But it's not, you know, it's not so much about the Warhol scene, really. I mean, it, uh, that's the kind of peripheral edges, you know, around the edge. But the the soul of the book is really just about mother-daughter relationship and really living in a small space with a very, you know, intense high-maintenance personality. Do you think it was unusual compared to other people who were uh, your age at the time? I think so, but, you know, every every childhood has its, anyone who tells their childhood story, it could be the most, you know, normal, let's say suburban thing. And I'm sure there's plenty of unusual things in it, you know, once they find the story that they want to tell. But yes, I think compared to the average child in that era, simply for the fact that it was these, you know, that it was these famous, you know, bohemian enclave that I was growing up in and that, my mother was the Warhol star. I think it is, you know, it is different than most. But there's also things that are super similar and that, you know, I think many women especially connect to and relate to. It's very um, woman-centric. You know, my, my sister was born when I was 11. And so it was just like us three women, girls at, in the house. And uh, my mother was raged against men a lot. So I think I think women or so I've heard women do relate to it. So I think there is a universal aspect of it, you know, but yes, I think the the context, the surroundings, the environment is very unique. His uh, studio, I think, the, what was in Union Square. Uh-huh. And 
Where were you educated? Were you home educated? Or did you go to school? Private? No, school? thank God I got to leave the house and go to school. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been truly, uh, if I had been homeschooled, wow, I think I would have turned out really differently um, and perhaps much worse than I turned out. <laughs> but um, no, I went to New York City public schools. I went to PS3, which then later, then my daughter went to in the West Village. And then IS-70, which is no, no longer there, but it's on 17th Street. And anyone who went to IS-70 junior high, because in New York, you know, it splits up lower school, middle school, jun junior high is middle school, and then high school. IS-70 was a complete nightmare. It's like, you it's almost like you've been to, you know, like you're, you're, you're a Vietnam vet if you've been to IS-70 when you meet other IS-70 people. <laughs> um, like you look at each other, you're like, IS-70? Oh, shit. Okay. And then high school, I went to LaGuardia. So all public schools. And, but that said, we traveled around a lot. So there was, there was a kind of homeschooling going on now that you mention it, the homeschooling of Viva, which had amazing aspects to it. So yes, my, my mother was in a constant monologue, which a lot of the book is about. And so I did get a lot of homeschooling, but not, not of an, any academic stripe that most people would recognize. <laughs> you said it was a small space. Mm -hmm. A one-bedroom apartment. I mean, you know, probably large compared to some, but a, a one-bedroom apartment. In a hotel. In a hotel, but the Chelsea had a lot of residents. But yes, it was it was technically a hotel room, but we had a kitchen, we had a bathroom. It really was like a regular apartment. The Chelsea has rooms that are just one room, you know, even with where you use the bathroom in the hall. I mean, now it's completely renovated and ridiculously fancy. But uh, yeah, so it was you know, relatively small, but also compared to the way many grew up in New York, probably quite large, you know, many, I'm going to say underprivileged people, but uh, we, I loved the apartment. It was on the seventh floor, had great views. And then when my sister was born, yeah, we shared a bedroom. So it was just like sharing a bedroom with a, a big personality who happens to be your mother and <laughs> your sister, you know, it can be intense when, the, when, when the woman is, is raving, you know, <laughs> when the woman of the house is raving all night. I see. How did, what happened when uh, you came of age and uh, went out off uh, in some ways on, on your own or did you stick with it or what happened? Um, I stuck with it. I should point out when I say raving, I don't mean taking ecstasy in a club. I mean, raving mad yeah. <laughs> for the youngsters who are listening. <laughs> like, wow, <laughs> she raved in the apartment all night long. But uh, yeah, when I came, I left home for college and Where'd you go? I went to Bard College, yep. um, where my daughter goes to now. And I met my husband at Bard. And no, it wasn't hard to leave home at that point. But I would say more the different, the differentiation stage of like basically tweenhood and teenage years. That was difficult, you know. Tell me something from the book that you wrote that stands out in your mind that might be helpful to people. Oh, wow. Okay. I think, well, I could tell you, man, I could... I could give you more shocking things or more funny things, but I think <laughs> we well, both. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think some of the things are having one section that I think is sweet and um, very reflective of the loving and kind of very enmeshed family in a positive way that we had was when my sister was born. And so my mother had my sister, Gabby Hoffman, who's an actress when she was in her mid forties. So she was a, at that time especially you know an older mother and we she took 
Gabby home the first night she was born. So from the, the hospital and they didn't want her to. So she kind of appeared home and still in like the bloody hospital gowns. And really I thought of Gabby, my sister as my own child. So there's some funny, you know, kind of dark humor, but also touching stories about raising this newborn baby together. You know, me at 12 years old, or really I just turned 11, not even 12. And um, I just turned 11 and my mother, you know, bringing home this many hours old baby and us just in the apartment in Chelsea Hotel alone. And I would go into the hall and run up and down the stairs to quiet the baby down, you know, give my mom a couple hours of sleep. And then all of the partiers in the Chelsea, you know, would be coming up the stairs, coming back home from the clubs. But I'd be, you know, I would think of myself as this tired mother at 11, you know, kind of <laughs> ruefully looking at the club, at the club clubbers being like, oh, don't you know how much freedom you have? You have no idea, you know. You, uh, you have an extensive list of movies that you've been part of. And I wondered, uh, are they... Are they all like independent films or um, tell me a little bit about that and how you got involved in that? I guess just because of the nature of my mother's life and work, we were asked to do this Vim Benders movie when I was 10, but the year before my sister was born. And I played, I played sort of myself and my mother played herself, but you know, she had a different, she had different characters name. So we were both did this Vim Benders movie called the state of things in Portugal and from then on, you know, I don't know, it's weird with child actors, like, obviously my mother must have found an agent, but I always feel like, oh, I got an agent, but of course I didn't get myself an agent when I was 11, you know? I went to a lot of auditions and ended up doing movies. Some of them were not, the Vim Vendors one actually was the more independent movie I did. I did some like kind of big budget teenage films, but they never were super, really super famous. I very bit small parts as a woman as a young woman I did a, a bunch of independent stuff too I always I was yeah I was always if somebody offered me an interesting part I would do it I stopped going to auditions when I went to college because I wasn't really interested in that kind of feels it's you know it's tough as all actors say <laughs> and a bit demeaning so I didn't I was majoring in writing at the time at Bard so I stopped going to auditions but I I have acted on and off throughout the year so and yes and then most recently I was in a few episodes of this HBO series called High Maintenance, which is great if you haven't seen it about, it's about, it's not, um, it's over, but it's about a weed dealer in Manhattan, in Brooklyn and Manhattan. And when he delivers people weed, you, you kind of follow him and you end up following the stories of the different people he delivers weed to. Um, and so each episode is short. It started as a, um, as a web series, it's pretty good. And then HBO bought it. So I play uh, Gloria, a yoga teacher who tries to break a dancing marathon. And I basically like dehydrate and piss myself. Oh, and uh, trying to dance like, I don't know, 52 hours straight or something <laughs> in a Brooklyn apartment. <laughs> the guy who does that show is cool because sort of Warhol-esque. I mean, he's, he's nothing like Warhol and the aesthetic is nothing like Warhol but he often hires people around him, like interesting folks he meets, you know? So I met him at this fashion show of a friend of mine who was the designer, you know? So he kind of like gathers friends and interesting people to be in the show. If you didn't uh, enjoy that as your career when you were younger and uh, before you started a family, what kinds of things were you doing? I was a yoga teacher pretty much my whole life, um, starting from, 
right after college from the mid nineties until honestly a two year, a year ago, I still do teach a little bit reluctantly because it was my main, you know, money gig, the yoga teaching. So yeah, I really taught yoga my entire life. And then when I sold this memoir, not that you make much money selling a book, but I, I, uh, I took that. I just decided to kind of retire out of the yoga teaching because I kind of had enough of it, you know? There's only so many bodies you can stretch out, you know, rich, healthy bodies, you know? Oh, <laughs> uh, boy, I didn't tell you. Yeah, my wife took me off. I'm not much of a, an ex. I wasn't much of an exercise person to yeah. test out. I did some yoga and hurt my knee. That oh, shit. Yeah, I can be really fucked up. You can really hurt yourself in yoga. Let me she tell you. She married me anyway. I, I you know. Oh, they- whatever yeah good that's good that's good yeah the knees are my knees and hips are all fucked probably from the yoga but um it's a it's a crazy world the yoga world did you ever did you ever uh do any writing uh professionally for magazines or other a little bit a little bit not a lot um i'm a real like you know late late bloomer publishing wise but yeah i wrote a couple things here and there over, you know, until when I published the book, when I was, you know, what I'm 52 now. So I guess it just came out, but you know, it takes a year after you sell it, it's still like two years before it, before it actually is in the stores. My life dream was always that to be a writer and publish things, but it, yeah, it didn't happen. But I tried to publish this book for a year. I mean, I, I not just tried to publish, but I really was writing the book since college not every day. I mean, it'd okay. be real why did you feel that you wanted to write stuff down from your own life? What, why, why would that be? Of in, I mean, the answer seems obvious, but how did right. you view it? How did you view it? You know, it's a really hard question to answer. Why do we do it? You know, it's like a, you're, one is compelled, I suppose, to some people who tell stories are compelled to tell stories, right? And it's hard to know why that is. But in, in college, from my senior thesis, I, I started writing these stories of my childhood. And then, you know, I never really stopped trying to put it together and trying to trying to chisel out the heart of the story, finally, which really didn't come to fruition fully until I was 50. But um, I had a much different version in college. But yeah, I guess I sensed or I knew or you know, maybe it's some weird genetic thing that you just want to tell stories that there was a story to be told here. You know, I think also my mother is such a, such a wild, amazing, smart, funny, and impossible character that if, you know, because I like to tell stories, you can't help but tell, you can't help but write her character. You know, she's just such a character. But yeah, I've always been a story. I've always liked to entertain people with stories. So I think it was just, it was just something that came really naturally, I think. Was it cathartic in some way? In some way, yeah. I mean, I think like the cliche, you one, one imagines, you know, coming to the last sentence of the book and putting the period and woo, <laughs> you did it, you know. And as you probably know, and any other person knows, it's not like that. And sometimes you write the end, you know, what you wrote five years before as the, end becomes the beginning, you know, and they don't have the end. So it doesn't, finishing the book didn't feel cathartic in that way. But what felt really cathartic actually was audio recording the book for Peng, for, um, for Viking. And when I, and it's like a three day marathon of reading aloud. And I, yeah. And that felt like that. Like when you, cause it's, you know, obviously monological, you, you sit in this booth for three days straight 
all day long. And at, when I got to the end, I felt, I did feel very emotional and that felt like, oh, okay, I finished it. You know, there was something about like verbally telling the story, my own story, you know, it was, yeah. it was cool. I really liked it. Do you have any memory or stories to tell about the uh, compound out in Montauk? Did you? Yeah. I mean, we, I wasn't, so when I was, do you know when Warhol bought that? I don't remember. Or and then Morrissey, the Morrissey then ended up with it. Was it Paul Morrissey? Warhol first bought it, and then I guess Paul. I Morrissey. think he bought it somewhere around 1975, somewhere around then. Okay, yeah, and I was born in '71. I don't know if I was there when I was a baby. I, I, I actually never asked my mom that, but my mother made, was friends with Morrissey. You know, still is friends with Paul. Um, and we I mean was friends with Paul up until now I don't know over the last few years but um Paul was doing a movie made trying to make another movie and he and he put my mom in it and we we stayed or at least visited and now I can't remember and we, my husband and I who's my husband's a filmmaker Nick Nahas we were interviewing people and kind of doing a kind of b-roll shooting of what was going on and yeah, at the Montauk house. And I'm, I guess my mom had been there many times before because she was very familiar with it. But I, we definitely didn't go there when I was a kid, but it's an incredible place. And Paul was there and yeah, he was, he was shooting this movie and we, we, we got a lot of footage and actually interviewed Paul and Viva and a bunch of the other people that were in it. But then, you know, uh, it didn't end well. <laughs> I mean, only that like people, my mother started to get annoyed about it. So it's a bit, it's unfinished raw footage that we've actually never looked at, which might be amazing. But okay. we did long, long formal interviews. Yeah. And we spent, we spent quite a bit of time there at that time, which now is, God, I mean, probably 15 years ago. Um, but that place is absolutely amazing. What did you think of Montauk? My stepmother has a place in Springs now. And so... I love to go to Montauk for the day. You know, everybody talks about how it's been overrun with people. I mean, I guess every era has its, it's like every neighborhood and era has its time where it's being overrun by the new people. But I still very much enjoy Montauk. And I've gone to the different places in the Hamptons, you know, my whole life, because my dad used to be good friends with Larry Rivers. So we used to go visit him a lot. My stepmother, Cindy Sherman, has been there, has, was first in Sag Harbor and now is in spring. So, yeah, I, I, have, a, I have a relationship with the Hamptons. <laughs> you know, sometimes I can find it really annoying um, for all the obvious reasons, but I also actually truly love it. And I love, I love springs. It feels really like out of the way of all the, the, the mayhem. And Montauk, Montauk still feels that way to me, too, somewhat, you know. What do you enjoy doing out there uh, when you're out here? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, like the world's greatest ocean lover. So I, I always want to be at the beach. I could be body surfing and hanging out at the beach every day. My whole life, I would have no guilt about never working again if I were able to, but uh, yeah. And then, and so, yeah, to me, it's all about the beach, but my, but my stepmom's place is on, um, you know, Gerard, do you call that road, you know, on that bay. 
Sure. And um, I've, yeah, I really come to love, yeah, like taking kayaks out there. And she doesn't really do, we don't do a lot of Hampton social stuff. I mean, when I go there, I'm there for a few days visiting and one, but once in a while as we do, I, but I can get a kick out of that too, you know, going to some, a fancy modern Did house. You ever go uh, clamming at all in the Bay? Oh my God. I really, yes. Um, I did it one time and I really want to do that more. We, we tried it not so long ago. I love the bay. I used to only be about the waves, but now I really have come to love that bay. And I, yeah, I love getting in the kayak. And I want, do you clam? I'm really interested in doing it. Oh, no, I don't. <laughs> but I will watch people do it. So I know, I know. It seems like the thing to do. Yeah, now the clamming is, clamming is very in. Um, yeah, my stepmom has chickens and a big garden. Um, yeah, it's a nice scene. I feel like it's a nice quiet scene. Like if you don't have to even get stuck in much traffic over there, you know. Are you going to have any uh, more any readings out here uh, other than the uh, one that's happening in a couple of days? No, I know it's the only one. Yeah, so I'm there. I'm here. I'm will be there to you. Are you there right now? <laughs> uh, I'm at my house. I'm in. Yeah, where's your place? I'm on Three Mile Harbor. Uh, I have a view right out of of the harbor itself with the boats and the water be uh, the sunset beyond there. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah. I, I, so we come in tomorrow. We're in Philadelphia. So it's a long drive. Yeah. Uh, I do always dread the drive. I have to say when you start getting that traffic on 27, oof, you know, it's like really trying, but, um, but uh, so I do the East Hampton authors night tomorrow, which looks like it's going to be really fun under the tents. And, um, and then they host these dinners. Um, so I get a dinner in my honor, which I'm really flattered about at Longhouse Reserve. And then the next day I have the reading with uh, the conversation with A.M. Holmes also, which I'm over the moon and tickled by. And um, yeah, and then there's like, yeah, there's a bunch of dinners. It'll be the most social I've ever been in the Hamdens. I'm excited. I've always like passed by the white tented hors d'oeuvres and cocktails. So now I finally, now I'm finally invited. I'm in, yes. I'm in, they've, they've taken me in. I'm, I actually, right after we're done with this, I have to pick out some outfits. I see. Okay. Yeah. Well, th thank you for being on this. We have, it's limited. I could go on with Please, you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Bye-bye now. Bye. -bye. Bye.